First Scene, Chapter Seven of No Name. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Magdalena Cook. No Name by Wilkie Collins. First Scene, Chapter Seven. Early the next morning, Miss Garth and Nora met in the garden and spoke together privately. The only noticeable result of the interview, when they presented themselves at the breakfast table, appeared in the marked silence which they both maintained on the topic of the theatrical performance. Mrs. Vanstone was entirely indebted to her husband and to her youngest daughter for all that she had heard of the evening's entertainment. The governess and the elder daughter had evidently determined on letting the subject drop. After breakfast was over, Magdalen proved to be missing when the ladies assembled as usual in the morning room. Her habits were so little regular that Mrs. Vanstone felt neither surprise nor uneasiness at her absence. Miss Garth and Nora looked at one another significantly, and waited in silence. Two hours passed, and there were no signs of Magdalen. Nora rose as the clock struck twelve, and quietly left the room to look for her. She was not upstairs dusting her jewellery and disarranging her dresses. She was not in the conservatory, not in the flower garden not in the kitchen teasing the cook, not in the yard playing with the dogs. Had she by any chance gone out with father? Mr. Vanstone had announced his intention, at the breakfast table, of paying a morning visit to his old ally, Mr. Clare, and of rousing the philosopher's sarcastic indignation by an account of the dramatic performance. None of the other ladies at Combe Raven ever ventured themselves inside the cottage, but Magdalen was reckless enough for anything and magdalen might have gone there as the idea occurred to her nora entered the shrubbery at the second turning where the path among the trees wound away out of sight of the house she came suddenly face to face with magdalen and frank they were sauntering toward her arm in arm their heads close together their conversation apparently proceeding in whispers they looked suspiciously handsome and happy at the sight of nora both started and both stopped Frank confusedly raised his hat and turned back in the direction of his father's cottage. Magdalen advanced to meet her sister, carelessly swinging her close parasol from side to side, carelessly humming an air from the overture which had preceded the rising of the curtain on the previous night. "'Luncheon time already?' she said, looking at her watch. "'Surely not.' "'Have you and Mr. Francis Clare been alone in the shrubbery since ten o'clock?' asked Nora. Mr. Francis Clare, how ridiculously formal you are. Why don't you call him Frank? I asked you a question, Magdalen. Dear me, how black you look this morning. I'm in disgrace, I suppose. Haven't you forgiven me yet for my acting last night? I couldn't help it, love. I should have made nothing of Julia if I hadn't taken you for my model. Quite a question of art. In your place, I should have felt flattered by the selection. In your place, Magdalen, I should have thought twice before I mimicked my sister to an audience of strangers. That's exactly why I did it, an audience of strangers. How are they to know? Come, come, don't be angry. You are eight years older than I am. You ought to set me an example of good humour. I will set you an example of plain speaking. I am more sorry than I can say, Magdalen, to meet you as I met you here just now. What next, I wonder? You meet me in the shrubbery at home, talking over the private theatricals with my old playfellow, whom I knew when I was no taller than this parasol, 
and that is a glaring impropriety, is it? Honey, sweet Queen Mally Pence, you wanted an answer a minute ago. There it is for you, my dear, in the choicest Norman French. I am in earnest about this, Magdalen. Not a doubt of it. Nobody can accuse you of ever making jokes. I am seriously sorry. Oh, dear. It is quite useless to interrupt me. I have it on my conscience to tell you, and I will tell you, that I am sorry to see how this intimacy is growing. I am sorry to see a secret understanding established already between you and Mr. Francis Clare. Poor Frank, how you do hate him, to be sure. What on earth has he done to offend you? Nora's self-control began to show signs of failing her. Her dark cheeks glowed, her delicate lips trembled, before she spoke again. Magdalene paid more attention to her parasol than to her sister. She tossed it high in the air and caught it. Once, she said, and tossed it up again. Twice, and she tossed it higher. Thrice. Before she could catch it for the third time, Nora seized her passionately by the arm, and the parasol dropped to the ground between them. "'You are treating me heartlessly,' she said. "'For shame, Magdalen, for shame!' The irrepressible outburst of a reserved nature, forced into open self-assertion in its own despite, is of all moral forces the hardest to resist. Magdalen was startled into silence. For a moment the two sisters, so strangely dissimilar in person and character, faced one another, without a word passing between them. For a moment the deep brown eyes of the elder and the light grey eyes of the younger looked into each other with steady, unyielding scrutiny on either side. Nora's face was the first to change. Nora's head was the first to turn away. She dropped her sister's arm in silence. Magdalen stooped and picked up her parasol. "'I try to keep my temper,' she said, "'and you call me heartless for doing it. "'You always were hard on me, and you always will be.' Nora clasped her trembling hands fast in each other. "'Hard on you,' she said, in low mournful tones, and sighed bitterly. Magdalen drew back a little, and mechanically dusted the parasol with the end of her garden cloak. "'Yes,' she resumed doggedly. "'Hard on me, and hard on Frank.' "'Frank!' repeated Nora, advancing on her sister and turning pale as suddenly as she had turned red. "'Do you talk of yourself and Frank as if your interests were one already?' "'Magdalene! If I hurt you, do I hurt him? Is he so near and so dear to you as that?' Magdalene drew further and further back. A twig from a tree near caught her cloak. She turned petulantly, broke it off, and threw it on the ground. "'What right have you to question me?' she broke out on a sudden. Whether I like Frank, or whether I don't, what interest is it of yours? As she said the words, she abruptly stepped forward to pass her sister and return to the house. Nora, turning paler and paler, barred the way to her. If I hold you by main force, she said, you shall stop and hear me. I have watched this Francis Clare. I know him better than you do. He is unworthy of a moment's serious feeling on your part. He is unworthy of our dear, good, kind-hearted father's interest in him. A man with any principle, any honour, any gratitude, would not have come back as he has come back. Disgraced, yes, disgraced by his spiritless neglect of his own duty. I watched his face while the friend who has been better than a father to him was comforting and forgiving him with a kindness he had not deserved. I watched his face, and I saw no shame and no distress in it. I saw nothing but a look of thankless, heartless relief. He is selfish, he is ungrateful, he is ungenerous. 
He is only twenty, and he has the worst failings of a mean old age already. And this is the man I find you meeting in secret, the man who has taken such a place in your favour that you are deaf to the truth about him, even from my lips. Magdalen, this will end ill. For God's sake, think of what I have said to you, and control yourself before it's too late. She stopped, vehement and breathless, and caught her sister anxiously by the hand. Magdalen looked at her in unconcealed astonishment. You are so violent, she said, and so unlike yourself that I hardly know you. The more patient I am, the more hard words I get for my pains. You have taken a perverse hatred to Frank, and you are unreasonably angry with me because I won't hate him too. Don't, Nora, you hurt my hand. Nora pushed the hand from her contemptuously. I shall never hurt your heart, she said and suddenly turned her back on Magdalen as she spoke the words. There was a momentary pause. Nora kept her position. Magdalen looked at her perplexedly, hesitated, then walked away by herself toward the house. At the turn in the shrubbery path, she stopped and looked back uneasily. Oh dear, dear, she thought to herself. Why didn't Frank go when I told him? She hesitated and went back a few steps. There's Nora standing on her dignity, as obstinate as ever. She stopped again. What had I better do? I hate quarrelling. I think I'll make up. She ventured close to her sister and touched her on the shoulder. Nora never moved. It's not often she flies into a passion, thought Magdalen, touching her again. But when she does, what a time it lasts her. Come, she said. Give me a kiss, Nora, and make it up. Won't you let me get at any part of you, my dear? but the back of your neck? Well, it's a very nice neck. It's better worth kissing than mine. And there the kiss is, in spite of you. She caught fast hold of Nora from behind, and suited the action to the word, with a total disregard of all that had just passed, which her sister was far from emulating. Hardly a minute since the warm outpouring of Nora's heart had burst through all obstacles, had the icy reserve frozen her up again already. It was hard to say, she never spoke, she never changed her position, she only searched hurriedly for her handkerchief. As she drew it out, there was the sound of approaching footsteps in the inner recesses of the shrubbery. A Scotch terrier scampered into view, and a cheerful voice sang the first lines of the glee in As You Like It. "'It's Papa!' cried Magdalen. "'Come, Nora, come and meet him!' Instead of following her sister, Nora pulled down the veil of her garden hat, turned in the opposite direction and hurried back to the house. She ran up to her own room and locked herself in. She was crying bitterly. End of chapter 7